good morning. We appreciate you joining us uh, this morning. We've had just a few technical uh, difficulties this morning, uh, but Lord willing, uh, we're logged in and we're live now, and we appreciate you joining us and trust that you've had uh, a great Christmas. Uh, certainly, 2020 has been a different year, and this is the last uh, Sunday morning of uh, 2020. And uh, we hope you did have a, a really wonderful Christmas. Again, we're not meeting together right now for uh, the next several weeks uh, until the cases, active cases, go down in our county. Uh, we'll continue to meet online. Uh, there'll be no services this coming Wednesday night. But Lord willing, next Sunday morning we'll be together at 1030 uh, again on Sunday morning streaming live. I planned on doing this this morning as we met together, but I want to say again how much I appreciate Scotty and Peggy and their efforts in decorating our gymnasium. Though we weren't in the sanctuary and we weren't able to have Christmas as normal and that normal feeling or to have our candlelight service, I appreciate their efforts to make this gym feel just a little more like Christmas, and so I appreciate all of their efforts. Be turning with me, please, this morning to the book of Joel as we continue a study that we started several weeks ago as we're going through the minor prophets and seeing what their message was to the original audience, the time-transcending truth, and what it is that God has to say uh, to us today. We'll be in Joel uh, chapter 2 is our focal passage, verses 21 through 27. Joel chapter 2, verses 21 through 27. And there the Bible says, begin to read in Joel chapter 2, verse 21, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Now for the next several moments this morning I want to speak to you on this subject. Growing over a new year. Growing over a new year. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will be in our midst this morning. And Father, I pray that you'll search our hearts and that your spirit will challenge us today concerning where we are, what's the true spiritual reality of our lives. And Father, I pray that should there be one listening this morning who's never been saved, there's never really been a time that they've repented and by faith trusted Christ, that, Lord, at the conclusion of this service today, with brokenness in their heart towards sin, God, they'll agree with you. And God, they'll choose to confess their sin. And God, they'll choose for the Holy Spirit to come in and be the power, God, that they've never been able to have before to help them have victory over sin. 
And Father, they'll bow their will to Christ's lordship. God, we pray for believers who stand in need of revival, spiritual renewal, who really need to begin a new season of growth that only the Holy Spirit can bring about when we're in a right relationship with you. Father, I pray you'll challenge us concerning what your perfect will is for our lives today. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us, your, your precious word. And God, I pray that you'll speak through it today. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to begin a new year should it be your will. And God, though things may be different than they were this time last year, and we don't know what the future holds, God, we're glad that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, on him we can depend and live and move and breathe. And so God, bless this time. Challenge us, speak to us, encourage us. Might your will be done in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Remember that uh, the nation of Israel, when they were led uh, captive from Israel, uh, from Egypt, it was, it's really a beautiful illustration of the salvation experience that happens in the life of a believer who's held captive by sin's condemnation and by sin's grip on their life. And when one turns and trusts Christ, we're able to experience a freedom that only Jesus can give. For whom the Son is made free, he's free indeed. And also as the nation of Israel began to move and to go forward after they left the nation of Egypt, they crossed over Jordan and entered into the promised land, the land that had been promised uh, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And that represents the abundant life that we can have now here on this earth. For God had a ministry for the nation of Israel. Uh, the book of Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6 says that they were to be a, a kingdom of priests. They were to have a mission. They were to serve the Lord. They were to reflect His holiness. They were to be a holy people. And they were to shine forth the truth of God's Word, not only with their lips, but with their lives. They were to be fruitful and multiply until Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, Christ would come from a Jewish woman, come to this world that he might redeem those who are lost in their sins. And so that was God's mission. That was their history. But as a whole, the nation of Israel was failing to live up to that reality. They weren't the holy nation that God had called them to be. And so God called and he sent prophets to speak on his behalf. The word of God that we have before us had not been canonized. It was not fully complete. And so God sent men and he spoke through them truths that he wanted the people to hear. They spoke on his behalf. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And the prophets were the lanterns that God shone forth His light, the truth of His Word through. And that was their ministry. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 35 and verse number 15, God says this about the ministry of His prophets and the intent of why He sent His prophets. In Jeremiah chapter 35 and verse 15, He says, I've also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way. Amend your doings, and do not go after the gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. God said, I've, I've sent you prophets to speak a word that would tell you and show you how to turn from the sin that has marred our relationship. Isaiah 59.2, and is separated 
you from me in this broken fellowship. But the people had not inclined their ear to the Lord. Rather, their reality is found in Jeremiah chapter 37 and verse 19. Because the people didn't want to hear from God, they made for themselves and they heaped up for themselves, the Bible says, false prophets who told them only the positive things that they wanted to hear from God. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 19, God says, But where now are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land? That's what God had sent and told the southern kingdom. If you don't repent, if you don't turn back to me wholly, I have a nation prepared that's going to come and judge you. But that wasn't a positive message for the people that they wanted to hear, even though it was truth. And so they turned from God's true word to false prophets who told them what they wanted to hear, even though it was not an accurate message. Ezekiel chapter 22, in verse number 28, God says this about the false prophets that the people turned to who didn't have a true word from God. He said, her prophets plastered the nation of Israel. They plastered them with untempered mortar. They built them up with things that God had not approved of that wouldn't build them into the people they needed to be. They saw false visions. They divined lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when God hadn't spoken. They told the people what they wanted to hear because that was politically advantageous for them. But God sent true prophets, just like Joel, to tell the people messages that weren't popular, but they were messages that they needed to hear if they were going to have a right relationship with God. Jesus spoke about these prophets in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 34. He told about how Israel responded to God's true and faithful servants that gave them an authentic word from God. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. That's how the nation of Israel responded to the word. It wasn't the messenger. It was the word that they despised. And so that was the ministry. It was, a very, it was a ministry of thorns that God called the prophets and the minor prophets to, to tell the people a very unpopular message, but a message that they needed to hear if they were going to be able to have a right relationship with God. Well, Joel was one of those faithful prophets. He was one that was faithful to God's will for his life and God's calling upon his life. Remember, his ministry spanned during the northern kingdom. After the death of Solomon, there was a civil war. The nation of Israel split to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom in 722 B.C. God judged the northern kingdom of Israel with the nation of Assyria. But prior to that, God sent Joel to warn the nation of Israel that they needed to turn. They needed to wholly submit their lives to his lordship or judgment was impending. And God had just sent a national tragedy to Israel. It was a massive swarm of locusts. It, it was intended to strike at the very heart of the economic health of the nation. And it was to be used to show the people what God's will was for them. You see, the entire agricultural system in Israel had been decimated because of these locusts. And Joel faithfully spoke all that God gave him to share concerning this great tragedy that had struck the life of the northern kingdom. And though tragedy had come, Israel still had the opportunity to grow again. You know, in the 16th century, uh, when students would study, they had large books bound with 
plain pieces of paper. They didn't call them sheets of paper like we do today. In their culture, they called them leaves. And when a student would err, he didn't have the opportunity like we do just to X out or to completely cover it and then hit delete. They had to turn over a new leaf. And so when they began again, they would say, I'm turning over a new leaf. And they would experience a fresh start in their studies. Well, Israel didn't need to turn over a new leaf. They needed to grow over a new leaf. They needed God to touch them, not only spiritually, but they needed uh, food in order to survive. And so what they needed more than an agricultural fresh start, though, was a spiritual fresh start. So I want you to notice on this last Sunday of the year, as we have the opportunity, should the Lord will, to begin a new year of service to the Lord in 2021, I want you to notice these three truths that we find in the book of Joel this morning about growing over a new leaf. Growing over a new leaf. Number one, I want you to see this morning from this text that God speaks through tragedy. God speaks to us through tragedy. Look at Joel chapter 1 and verse number 1. Where the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. This, was, this wasn't Joel's word. It was God's word. God says that inspired in the, very, the word of the Lord. God had a message for the nation of Israel that he wanted them to hear. Because they were backslid. Because the worship of Baal marked and marred their lives. Because they were oppressing the poor. They weren't loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They weren't loving their neighbor as themselves because they had drifted away from all those covenant promises. God sent a national tragedy upon them and the, the swarm of these locusts which decimated their agricultural system. And Joel says, God has a message for you. Look at verse 2. He says, Hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? He says, this tragedy, it's not normal. It's not an everyday occurrence. This is something that God did that struck them in such a terrible way that inconvenienced them, it impacted them. It was, it was to cause them to stop for just a moment and to really look and to try to see what it was that God was trying to speak to them. He says, tell your children about, let your children tell their children about, and their children another generation. This wasn't by chance. It wasn't a normal occurrence. What had happened? Verse 4. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. That means there was nothing left in the field to eat. There wasn't a stalk of grain, a stalk of corn, there wasn't a bean, there wasn't a leaf left on the tree. Any fruit whatsoever. It was all gone. God had sent a tragedy into their midst to speak to them and to try to get their attention. Chapter 1, verse 6 says, For a nation has come up against my land. It was, it was a nation of locusts. It was symbolic of the nation of Assyria and what God was fixing to do to them through Assyria that would make what the locusts did look like nothing. And God was trying to call them to repent and to turn. The locusts were a warning of a greater tragedy to come. Chapter 2, verse 1 begins to speak about what was going to happen through the nation of Assyria. That the locusts were symbolic of what God was going to do through Assyria in total devastation against the nation of Israel. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Chapter 2, verse 1. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is God's judgment. 
He says, it's, it's at hand. Verse 2 says, it'll be a day of darkness, of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Just as those locusts had come across the sky, millions of them, and it blotted out the sun shining through so that people began to ask and wonder, what is this? What's that sound? What's happening? Nothing like this has ever happened before. God says it'll be worse when the nation of Assyria descends upon you. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come, great and strong, the like of whom have never been. God says, I'm going to empower Assyria to judge you because you have turned away in your covenant commitment to me. Verse 3 says, A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape. Just as the locust started on one end of the garden, and there was absolutely nothing left, it looked like a lawnmower had gone down each row and absolutely decimated everything. He said, that's what Assyria's going to do. It'll be nothing but carnage and death behind them. He begins to describe uh, how they operate in verse number 8. He says, they do not push one another. Everyone marches to his own column. There's ordered discipline in this army. Though they lunge between the weapons, verse 8 of chapter 2, they're not cut down. They're well trained. Verse 9 says, they run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb in the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. They were committed to their mission. Verse 10 says, The earth quakes before them and the heavens tremble. That means they have great might. The sun and the moon grow dark. The stars diminish their brightness. Now listen to verse 11. Pay attention to this. The Bible says, The Lord gives voice before His army. He wasn't speaking about the army of the nation of Israel. God's army was the nation of Assyria. God was using the nation of Assyria, the wicked, lost nation of Assyria and their army to judge his people because of their sin. He says, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. That's the Lord. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? God was preparing the nation of Israel through this tragedy. Don't miss this. This inconvenient, life-changing, economic-impacting tragedy. God was speaking through that tragedy to call the nation of Israel to repent and turn from the spiritual direction they were going because there was a far greater challenge and discipline that lay ahead if they didn't repent. Can you try to imagine what would happen in present day if those locusts had come, if God was trying to get the church's attention today, what a divided response there would be. Well, for example, possibly group A would say, well, these locusts, it, they're just a result of global warming. It was just too hot where they were, and they were trying to find a more suitable climate, and that's why they've come here. Mother Nature is trying to get our attention. She's, she's speaking loudly. And if there's a God, if, and there's probably not, but if there's a God, no God would ever do something like that to his people. That's what group A would say. But then group B possibly, and sadly most of these are found in churches, they would say that the tragedy God sent through the locusts, well, it was just an entomological hoax. And it's just a hoax that was concocted and designed to bring us more dependent upon pesticide companies and that through our dependence, there's going to be a, a worldwide 
reset because the pesticides are going to cause infertility in women. You see, God was trying to speak through the tragedy. But each group, and even in the nation of Israel, they had their own predetermined view of God and tragedy apart from His Word. You see, how you see hardship depends totally upon how you see God. Some Christians really believe that God would never send tragedy deliberately to His own people. But yet that's exactly what the truth Joel's sharing, that God speaks through tragedy. We see here in this text that this tragedy was God sent. And we don't always know that all tragedy is God sent, but what we do know from Scripture is this. All tragedy and hardship is God allowed. There's nothing that passes its way into our lives that doesn't pass first through the permissive hands of God. He allows everything that happens in our lives to happen. For no one can thwart God. He's all-powerful. And so God was trying to get their attention. He was trying to speak. And you may say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament, God. I want to remind you, God is unchanging. His Word is unchanging. In Luke chapter 13, during Jesus' ministry, begin to read in verse number 1, Jesus was ministering in Galilee. And the Bible says in verse 1 of Luke chapter 13, there were present at that season, some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their own sacrifices. Apparently there had been uh, a, a, a mass killing by Pilate of, of some Galileans. And they began to ask Jesus about this. And he perceived their thoughts. In verse number 2, now this is written in red. This is Jesus who spoke this about a national tragedy and the mass killing of these Galileans. Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Because they suffered in this national tragedy? Verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. You see, the Son of God took a tragedy and spoke a message in relation to to that tragedy, to all people who were listening. He says, no, I tell you no, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And then he took another national tragedy that he would have known about. Apparently, one day, there was a tower in Siloam, and there were people who were gathered around it, and that tower fell. Maybe it was a young family who was just out for the day. Maybe it was some workers. These people just happened to be walking by in the normal course of their day. But the tower fell, and 18 people were killed. I mean, the tower literally fell upon them and killed them. It was a tragedy. But listen to what Jesus says in verse number 4. He says, You're the 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. What was Jesus' message in response to these, these tragedies? Repentance were needed. That was the message. And it was God's message through the locust. He sent the locust to speak through that tragedy to His people to say, you need to repent. Now, not all the nation of Israel needed to repent. There was a righteous remnant at all times. There were some who were walking with the Lord. But there were areas of their life, most certainly, which we know as we serve God, that we're always battling with. There's always areas that we need to give further control to the Lord. 
And so God's message to Israel was, you need to repent. Repentance were necessary. You need to turn. Last week we were in Genesis chapter 3, and God came and He was looking for Adam and Eve. He knew where they were. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, God spoke a question. He said, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was, but Adam needed to think about where he was, where his sin had led him to. Adam needed to say, really? Yeah, where am I? I'm hiding in the bushes trying to knit together an apron to hide the shame of my sin. Look, look, look what I've done. Look where I am. And that was God's message to the nation of Israel. They needed to think about where they were. They needed to think about where their sin had brought them and where repentance was needed. And that was God's message through this tragedy of locusts. Friend, that's God's message always through tragedy. Certainly, He speaks other messages, but one we see from Scripture is always this. Every tragedy is an opportunity for God to get the attention of people to say, you need to repent before you also likewise perish. God speaks through tragedy. And number two, a second truth that we see this morning is this. God is serious about repentance. God is serious about repentance. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, this was Isaiah chapter 6 is the call of Isaiah to ministry. And Isaiah saw the, the grand vision of God sitting holy upon these throne. He saw his own sin, that he was a man of unclean lips. It's representative of a new birth as the holiness of God is now imputed to his life. And then there's the surrender and the call of Isaiah to ministry. Verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah begins to speak says, God, here I am. Send me. I'll go. I'll be a mouthpiece for you. And God said this, listen to verse number 9. Go and tell this people. Now his ministry was to the southern kingdom. He was just a few years after Joel's ministry. He says, go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. It is, keep hearing the words of the prophets. You just, you just keep on listening, but, but don't understand. You keep on seeing, but do not perceive. You see... When God sent the prophets because they had a predetermined view of who God was and what tragedy was and the hardships that God was sending on their life were hardships that God designed to increase in difficulty. We'll see this in the book of Amos. To try to get their attention, to cause them to turn. They chose not to see those things. They chose It was going in their ears, but it was just words. They really didn't want to hear what God had to say. They really didn't want to change because they had decided what lordship looked like for them. And it's what was popular. God said through Isaiah, keep on speaking, verse 10. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. And shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. What God was saying is this, friend. There's a danger in being casual toward God's word. There's a danger in hearing God's Word and just turning that away. And the danger is this, friend, that you you become hard-hearted. Your ears become hardened. Don't mistake God's patience for permissiveness. God was long-suffering and God was patient with His people. And so He sent hardships and tragedies 
to speak to them a word. You need to repent because there's a greater hardship and adversity that's going to come. I'm going to judge sin. And because it was low in temperature, and they were able to recover shortly after, the people thought, well, we don't really need to repent. And they began to turn away. And when they did that, they hardened their heart to God's message. And what was God's message? Repentance. They kept hearing that word over and over and over and over again. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to turn from the direction that you're going. You need to concur with God. You need to confess your sin. And you need to change. And they heard the word, but they didn't respond to the word. And so their ears became dull toward it. They thought, well, God's not really serious about it. He's calling us to repent, but Assyria hasn't come yet. He hasn't, he hasn't rung our bell, really. I mean, it's inconvenient, but we've learned to adapt. We're going, we're going on with our life. We're, we're moving on. We've got faith, not fear. God would never hurt us. God would never bring inconvenience upon our life. It's just a false message and an unpopular message from these prophets like Joel and Hosea and Isaiah. But the Bible teaches, friend, that God is serious about repentance. Well, again, if you're tuning in for just the first time this morning, or maybe you've forgotten, what is repentance? Repentance is really marked by three words. It's concur, confess, and change. Concur is to first agree with God. If, if God says it's wrong, then it's wrong. As a believer, if the Spirit of God marks something out in your life and convicts you of it, then it's wrong. If God's Word says something's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. It's not just sins of commission, it's sins of omission. Not doing things that God calls us and commands us to do. And so, in order to enter into a right relationship with God, lost or saved, if sin has separated us from God, you have to agree with God that the sin in your life is indeed sin. If he calls it sin, it's sin. That's to concur. But then you have to confess. That's to own it. And again, we say this often, but you know, the culture that we live in today, and many of us have grown up in, it's America, the land you're defended. Everything that's wrong in my life, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Friend, I want to remind you the truth of Scripture, that if you sin, it's nobody's fault but yours. You've done it. And you're never going to find a right relationship with God. You're never going to be saved. And you're never going to experience revival if you backslid or you're out of fellowship with God until you own it. Do you say, God, to, to you and you alone have I done this. It's no one else's fault but mine. That's to confess and say, it is sin. You've named it. I'm naming it. And then, friend, there has to be change. When you get saved, you turn and trust Christ to be Lord of your life. And then the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Acts 1.8, you receive the power that you need in order to have victory over sin. You experience then spiritual life. And the Spirit now enables you as you yield to the leadership and the work of the Holy Spirit to have victory over lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. But as a believer, you must change. As you concur with God and you confess You've got to turn away from that sin and begin to walk away from sin. It, it's the message that John the Baptist preached as he began to prepare a people for the coming ministry of Jesus Christ. He had the same sermon 
every single week in the same outline. One word, repent. Repent, repent. You've got to turn away from this Judaic religious system that you've established over the last 400 years and you're being influenced by the Pharisees and Sadducees, you've got to surrender your heart and life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the King that's coming. And listen to what he said in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. John says, you, you say you really repented? You say you really want to experience the kingdom of God? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. He says, really change, really demonstrate, and show forth some fruit some evidence that repentance has really taken place because when someone has truly repented that is turned away from sin and self, it's not going to be invisible. The conduct of one's life, the fruit of their hands and their feet, it's going to bear witness that repentance has really taken place. And the Bible says that, that repentance, it, it, it's going to be marked by sincerity and brokenness. You see, God's serious about repentance, and you're never really going to enter into a right relationship with God through repentance, either lost or saved, until you get serious about it. It's got to be more than an emotional response. It, it has to be, it's going to be marked by sincerity and brokenness. Look what God says through Joel in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. God says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. Not part of it, but all that bring every Turn. Turn away from where you were to me. That was God's message through the tragedy. Repentance were needed. He says, turn to me with all your heart. Not part. You're never going to experience God's best, God's working, and God's empowerment in your life, friend, until you bring your full life into the captivity of Jesus Christ. You just come to a place where you lay your life at His feet. He says, you're to be serious about that. Now, therefore, turn, turn to me with all your heart. And notice what he continues to say in verse number 12 of Joel chapter 2. With fasting, with weeping and mourning. Not just emotion, but true brokenness over what sin has done in your life. And the disappointment that it's caused the Lord as you've turned away from Him. Look at verse number 13. He says, so rend your heart and not your garments. Well, that doesn't mean a lot to us, the last part of that statement, but to those in Joel's day it did. The Jews were known when they were suffering anguish. You've seen in different movies before where someone hears a, a bad report or they get a telegram that's bad. All of a sudden the camera will begin to pan off of them and go up into the air in the distance and the person will fall to their knees and they'll in, in anguish cry, No! Well, that's what would happen in Joel's day, but they would rip their clothes. They would grab their garments and, and scream and pull their clothes open. Well, Joel said anybody can do that. He said anybody can pull their clothes apart and say, well, I'm, I'm broken over my sin. Joel says, no, don't rend your garments, verse 13. Rend your heart. He says, really, really have a broken heart about the sin. Agree with God and be broken over it. With all your heart, every part of, of one's life, not just a show of emotion. And notice what he continues to say in verse number 13. Rend your heart and not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. He says, to the Lord. Not just turn back to God, but return to the Lordship of God. Let Him be Lord over every area of your life. 
Be faithful to His Word. Let it truly mark you. Not just parts of your life or what's convenient, but bring your full life and your family's life and your nation's life under the Lordship of God. Return to Lordship. Because, verse number 13, He is gracious and merciful. Those two great words, grace and mercy. He says God's trying to get your attention. He speaks through tragedy. He's brought the locust. His desire is that this hardship will cause you and shake you and startle you to be like, man, what, where am I? What is happening? Look where, look, where we've, look where I've ended up spiritually. God, I'm so sorry. I agree, I'm turning. God, there's brokenness. I'm wholly confessing. I'm wholly repenting. And look at verse 13. Thank God you're gracious and you're merciful. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It was gracious that God would give them a second start. It was mercy that God didn't just blast them right there because the wages of sin is death. He says God is gracious and God is merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness. And verse 13 says, He relents from doing harm. Friend, God is far more willing to receive and forgive than we are to repent and confess. So God was speaking through this inconvenient tragedy and He had a message. The people didn't want to hear the message because the tragedy was inconvenient. And it's not how they saw God. But Joel's trying to remind them, listen, the message is repentance and God is serious about repentance. And so look how serious. Verse 15 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Everybody fast. So that when those hunger pains start, or whatever it is that you remove yourself from, or away from your life, whenever you're prone to turn toward that, focus on spiritual things. Be serious about what God has called you to. That's repentance. Verse 16, gather the people. Get everybody involved in this. Because this was a national need. He says, gather all the people together. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babes. Now listen to this. Outside of one salvation experience, when they turn and receive Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life, the most special day in a man and woman's life when they enter into a covenant of marriage is that day, that, that wedding ceremony. There's no other day greater except the day of salvation. Look what God says. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. God says, I'm so serious about repentance that even if the bride is in the back room, can you imagine? Everyone is in the, 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 the church sanctuary. The family has worked tirelessly for days and every pedal is perfectly placed. Every candle is lit. Everyone is there in their Sunday best. They're, they're waiting. The groom has come out. The best man's beside him. And then all of a sudden, they, they fling open the doors the organist begins to play. Here comes the bride, and everyone turns and looks, and there the bride is, more beautiful than she's ever been, on the arm of her father. And she begins to step forward, and all of a sudden, the pastor steps out and says, Stop everything! Stop everything. God's called us to pray. Repentance is needed. We're not in a right relationship with God. God wants us to pray, and God wants us to get right. Friend, listen. God says, 
the, the bridegroom is to come out from a dresser. She's not even to go to her wedding, God says, until repentance takes place. That's how serious God takes repentance. It's not something you need to do tomorrow or next week. The right time for repentance is always right now. God was speaking through tragedy to the nation of Israel. He had the message, repent. And God's serious about repentance. And friend, I'm telling you, the church needs revival. America doesn't need revival. America needs a spiritual awakening. But the church needs revival from its apathy and from its indifference. And I'm telling you, friend, it's not a message about COVID. But COVID was an opportunity for the church to challenge and speak to people and say, listen, there are things that are out of control of our lives and you better make sure you get right with God because there's a place called hell where lost people go and it'll make COVID look like nothing. God God will deal with Christians who are in a backslid relationship. There's a judgment seat of Christ where there's going to be crying and weeping over wasted opportunities and parts of one's lives that weren't surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you need to repent. You need to get right. That's what tragedies are about. And the church hasn't done that. We've tried to explain it away. Just get back to normal. What we mean is get back to my predetermined life that I've chosen and the path that I'm going, rather than saying, this is the day the Lord has made. God, this is what you've allowed, and you've got a purpose. So God, we want to embrace whatever that purpose is as your agents of the gospel. And there's many people, church experts, growth experts, believe who've done surveys who claim to be Christians that will never darken the door of the church again. The Apostle Paul says there will be a great falling away in the last days. The church needs revival. It's about repentance. That's where it starts. That's what God calls us to do. And then when we're serious about repentance, as serious as God is, the third truth becomes a reality that God can renew and restore. You see, the contemporary Christian teaching is God will renew and restore. But friend, I want you to see God can renew and restore, but only when we wholly repent. You see, what's popular is that God is so loving and so good, we just choose the direction we're going, and God's going to come piggyback with us all the way, and He'll renew and restore all the way, and He would never let anything bad happen to us. We just need to have enough faith and don't have fear. We're only renewed and restored when we wholly repent and return our lives to the Lordship of Almighty God. That's what God was speaking to the nation of Israel through Joel. He says, when you get serious about repentance, you concur, you confess, and you change. Look what God says will take place. Verse 18 of chapter 2. Then the Lord will be zealous for His people and pity His people. Now He's going to be broken over the spiritual plight that they're in. In the state where sin has left them. Now they're going to begin to grow again. Not just agriculturally, but spiritually. They're going to begin to grow that testimony again. Verse number 19 says, The Lord will answer and say to His people, Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Well, now God's responding to the prayers of His people. Why? Because sin has been dealt with. Repentance has taken place. 
The Bible says the Lord will answer and say to His people, now true fellowship has been restored. God says, I'll sin. Look at the verbs. I will, be, I will pity. I'll be zealous. I will answer. I will send. All positive things that are taking place. God says, I'll send you grain, new wine and oil. I will no longer make your reproach among the nations. He says, I'm going to restore your testimony. God says, because you've repented, you're growing a new leaf again. Now you're going to have a new name. Just joy will be restored. Look at verse 21. Fear not, O land, and be glad and rejoice. One of the things that David was so heartbroken about, not just the loss of fellowship when he sinned with Bathsheba, but he lost his spiritual joy. In Psalm 51, verse 12, he says, Oh God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And God says, Now there's going to be joy. Be glad and rejoice. That's when God begins to renew and to restore. Look at verse number 22. He says, Not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up. Now where the locusts had decimated, symbolic of what sin had done to their life, destroyed that newness with God, now because repentance had taken place, agriculture literally, leaves were beginning to sprout up, buds were forming on the trees, seeds were beginning to germinate. New growth was taking place. And that's what begins to happen slowly in the life of a believer. When we repent, we experience revival. God begins to renew that relationship with us. And we begin to develop fruit again. We grow a new leaf over. And then we begin to bear fruit. We're springing up. We're bearing fruit. Verse number 24. And then further as we continue to walk with the Lord. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat. And the vats shall be full with new wine and oil. And then look at verse number 25. God says, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts, my great army which I sent. It wasn't a hoax. It wasn't because of global warming. God says, I sent this to get your attention. And because you acknowledged it, because you repented, now there's a right relationship. Again, friend, we can't prove that every tragedy is God sent. But every hardship and tragedy that comes into our lives is God allowed. And every tragedy and hardship, national, just within a church, a family, or within one's personal life, it's an opportunity for God to speak this message, repentance where needed. It's an opportunity for us to respond and say, God, I agree. I confess. God, it's me that's done this. I don't want to be this way anymore. God, I'm turning. And I'm going to change through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. I can't do it on my own, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, that's my desire. That's my plan. And now look at verse number 26. Because of that, worship is restored. He says, you shall eat the plenty, you shall be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God. Now there's newness in worship. And again, worship is just simply enjoying the presence of God. Now you're not going to hide yourself from God. Now you're not going to hide yourself from God's Word. Now you're going to run to God and run to His Word because you want to have fellowship with Him. You want His Word to be a reality in your life so that you can grow and that you can be a blessing. We looked at a question earlier from Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Where God called out to Adam and he said, Adam, where are you? 
I want you to listen to me. This is, the this is usually the time when most people tune out. And I want you to listen. It's the most important part of the service. Don't exit out. Don't backwards out of the, the service right now. I want to invite every Christian under the sound of my voice that's listening just to start praying right now for the invitation. But don't mentally check out. Listen, God's message to you today is this. Where are you? On the last Sunday of 2020, where are you? Where are you spiritually? Think about that. Are you in a growing, surrendered, committed relationship with God? Or have you ever been saved? You may be listening to this this morning for the first time. You're hearing words you don't even know really what they are. Saved, surrendered, committed. Friend, I want to tell you in just a few simple sentences. The Bible teaches that all people are born lost, separated from God because of sin. Romans 3.23 says we were all sinners. And the penalty for that, Romans 6.23 says, is a death, an eternal death in a place called hell. But what Christmas is really all about is God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, the little baby that was born on Christmas Day in Bethlehem, that baby would grow into a man with man-sized hands and man-sized feet that would one day be nailed to a cross at a place called Calvary because of the penalty for sin's death. And Jesus Christ was your sin substitute and my sin substitute. He took the whipping for us. He took the penalty for sin upon himself. And the Bible says, whosoever will repent of their sin, concur, confess, turn to Jesus, and by faith trust him, what he did on the cross, and trust him to be Lord of their life, they'll be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. He'll give you a new life if you'll only turn and trust him today. Won't you do that? Just agree with God you're a sinner. Confess your sin and trust Jesus right now based on what he did on the cross for you and that he raised himself from a tomb. Three days after he died, God raised him. Believe in that and trust in it. And trust him to be Lord of your life. And the Bible says you'll be saved. Tell him so in just a simple prayer of faith, just like this. Pray just like this. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me on the cross. And just as I am, I'm coming to you, turning from all the sin that's in my life to you and asking you to save me from my sin. I want to be saved. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you've got new life in Jesus Christ. And we want to help you and walk with you in that new life. We want to encourage you in what God wants to do next. Would you not call us here at the church office or email us? All that's listed on our website and on our church Facebook page. Reach out to us because we want to reach out back to you. Now, I want to talk to the church. And I don't mean Greenwood. Anyone that's saved who can name the name of Christ, you can identify a day in your life where you've truly been saved. Listen to me this morning. Where are you? Where are you? Not the facade that you've created, the outer shell. Where are you spiritually today? Do you stand in need of repentance? God speaks that to us today. Through all the tragedies of this past year, a virus, civil unrest, wildfires, God speaks to us. Repentance, we're needed. Repentance, we're needed. Where's repentance needed in your life? 
Would you not afresh and anew today to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And as we begin this new year, should God will so, enter into it with a life that is wholly submitted to His Lordship and experience today His reviving touch for And allow God to begin to grow a new leaf in your life. Maybe your prayer commitment would just be this today. Oh God, forgive me for the sin that's led me to the place where I'm at. Holy Spirit, you shine into the parts of my life that you're not satisfied with. God, I want to agree with you that it's wrong. No matter what anyone else may tell me about it, I agree with you, God. God, I'm confessing those things that they're wrong. God, I'm not just confessing. I'm going to turn away from it. No matter what it costs me, no matter what I have to do, I'm turning away. And I want to begin a new spiritual walk with you starting today. You're serious about repentance. I'm going to be serious about it. God, no matter what challenges and tragedies and adversities come my way and my family's way and my church family's way this year, God, I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to be a mouthpiece for you. And I want to be living on mission every day, just like Joel and others did, and be a lamp that shines the light of your Word, not only with my lips, but with the conduct of every area of my life. Revive me today, God. Restore to me what I've allowed the enemy to eat away. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for the privilege of a second chance that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't know what the next year holds, but God, we're glad we know who holds the next year. And Father, I pray that we'll not gather up with the crowd and just move along with whatever's convenient and popular. But Father, we'll continue to turn to you and look at all tragedies and hardships through the lens of your word. And Father, we'll be a part of using challenges and hardships to challenge people about spiritual needs that are in their lives. Help us to be faithful and be found faithful in what you've called us to do. And God, should you give us another year and we stand here 365 days later next year, I pray, God, that the sum total of the days were days that were lived out and surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And to we're able to be together, together again in this place, God, I pray you'll give us physical health as you will. God, I pray you'll help us to do the things that we need to do to help keep ourselves and others healthy during these days. Bless every member of our church family, those that are listening. Might your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Again, we won't meet uh, this Wednesday, but Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday morning at 10.30 right here. God bless you. Have a great week. You reach out and call us if you need anything. We're praying for you. You pray for us. God bless you for being here today.